Hello, and welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Our messages are designed to help teach and equip you on your journey to lead people to follow Christ. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage you no matter where you are in your journey towards Jesus. If you have any questions, want to talk, or want to learn more about Summit, visit us at summitniles.com. If you take your Bibles with me this morning and turn to the New Testament, Romans chapter 5 is our text this morning. If you could find that, uh, that's where we're going to start, Romans chapter 5. It's good to be with you today. Have I told you lately that I love you? I love you. You know, there's a song that is, uh, has that title, um, Have I Told You Lately? It's a song that was originally written and recorded uh, by Van Morrison. He was um, an Irish, uh, Northern Irish singer, songwriter. Uh, later, that song was recorded by uh, Rod Stewart, and that's probably, um, most of you would remember, um, if, you, if you're old enough to remember that song, you would remember Rod Stewart singing. It's often played at weddings, uh, and rightfully so, although what you may not know is that uh, it was originally written as a prayer. Listen to the words. Have I told you lately that I love you? Have I told you there's no one else above you? You fill my heart with gladness. Take away all my sadness. Ease my troubles. That's what you do. For the morning sun and all its glory greets the day with hope and comfort too. You fill my heart with laughter. Somehow you make it better. Ease my troubles. That's what you do. There's a love that's divine, and it's yours and it's mine. Like the sun, and at the end of the day, we should give thanks and pray to the one, to the one. There's a, there's a love that's divine, and it's yours and it's mine. At the end of the day, we should give thanks and pray to the one, to the one. Um, have I told you lately that I love you? I think we could all learn, we all need to learn to love just a little bit more and a little bit better. The world would be a better place if we learned to love. In fact, Scripture says, remember in Corinthians, there's faith, there's hope, and there's love. But the greatest of these is love. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but would have everlasting life. You see, God loved us. This is love. In fact, 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us. And He sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Well, I wanted to start there this morning let you know that I love you. Um, I love you, God loves you, and that's, that's how it ought to be. Right? So let's learn. We need each other. Let's love each other. It's good to be celebrating Upward Soccer this morning. By the way, that Michigan-Notre Dame thing was soccer. If that was football, that'd be a massacre. So I just thought I'd throw that out. But all right, so now here's the thing. If you're going to talk to me about it, I set you all up. If you're going to talk to me about a football game, then I need to hear the feedback when I'm preaching the Word, right? So, 
I know I can count on Ricky. God bless you, sir. It's good to be celebrating upward soccer, uh, even more the reason we celebrate upward soccer. You know, we can talk about hot dogs and donuts and a bunch of other interesting stuff and 475 or whatever it is, kids. Um, everyone is a person and a human being and a value, but what I love about that is the opportunity to love our community and share the love of Jesus Christ with our committee, with our community, and with those those students, those athletes, and and so those of you that are a part of that team, um, hands on, you know that those weeks of practice and games are busy days. And those of you who are praying, so glad for your part in that. Um, our team has a mission, an important mission, and one of the ways. Look, I, I'll tell you this right now. I wouldn't waste ten cents on on athletic programs if I couldn't connect the gospel with it. What we do has to connect with our mission, leading people to follow Christ, and it does. And every week, every practice, every game, um, we bring Christ to bear. And there is fruit, and there's, there's families that um, would never come to the door of our church, but they'll come to a soccer field, and we can meet them there, and we can share Jesus with them. And then what is also amazing is to see some of those families then come up the driveway a little farther and become a part of our church family. And more importantly than that is people who become part of the family of God. And so that's why we do what we do, right? So thank you. Our sermon series we started a few short weeks ago is called Praxis, filling the gap between theology and practice. Praxis is, is it's defined as a an accepted custom, uh, it's an idea translated into an action, something in reality rather than merely just theory. So we talk about um, in this week, or in this, these series each week, we talk about uh, orthopraxy. Now, you're, you're familiar with the word orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is, you know, we've been talking about that. Um, or in, in the Greek language, or in, in, uh, in languages oftentimes other than English, they, they put in multiple words with multiple meaning, and the, the word orthodoxy, the word orthos, is a, is a word that literally means straight. Uh, so in English, we'll say, you know, something is, is straight, meaning it's reliable, you can trust it. Um, or like, for example, a straight talker. Someone who's a straight talker is someone who, um, you know, the, the, the idea of orthos, to be set straight, right path. Someone who's on the right path is, is on the straight and narrow, all right, orthos. The, the, the second part of orthodoxy, doxa, is a word that means uh, teaching or uh, uh, an opinion. It, is, it is, is that truth. So orthodoxy is, is very much about the straight uh, teaching, the truth of God's word. So orthodoxy, all right? Now, orthodoxy emphasizes correct belief, correct doctrine. It, it, you have to think right in order to do right. Um, many times my dad would say to me, so you're not even thinking right. You know, you, obviously I wasn't doing right. He said, you're not thinking right. You got to think right. You know, boy, think right. He'd tell me that. Um, so orthodoxy is, is, is idea of correct belief. And there's too many people in the world today who, who don't understand uh, truth or are confused about truth. It's this idea of, of my truth and, and your truth. and some, there isn't, There's only one kind of truth. 
right? The truth is true. In fact, one of our classes today, Eric Kopsock's teaching a class this hour, and they're talking, they're dealing with this, um, that, that interchange that Jesus had with Pilate during uh, the, the days leading up to the, the crucifixion and the resurrection, where the, the question was asked, what is truth? So orthodox, truth. Orthopraxy is the other side of the same coin that emphasizes correct behavior. So orthodoxy is correct belief. Uh, Orthopraxy is correct behavior, conduct that is ethical. It it is connected to what one believes. And correct belief is connected to correct behavior. In fact, James 4, a verse we've used each of these weeks, James 4, verse 17 says, if anyone then knows the good that they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So then we say, well, listen, you know, have we asked the question last week, um, you know, have, have you sinned? You just stop long enough to say something to us about that. Um, some of you who, who are a part of church have had some experience. Maybe you grew up in the Catholic church, and you're familiar with the thing called you know, the confession, or, or go, you're going to confession, or the confessional booth. Now, I will tell you that if if people are serious about that, um, that is a good thing. Now, if you're, if you're going to confession, you know, to confess something that you're going to do later, that doesn't make sense, right? So um, that, that makes no sense. But what is interesting, at least in, in, the, in the Catholic Church, there's this, you know, the thing called, you know, a confession or confessional. Too many times in Protestant churches... We forget about that. Scripture says, confess your sins one to the other, you know, um, and, and you may be healed. If it, There's a James passage that talks about, you know, if you'll confess your sins to the other, you know, you're coming to be prayed for. You're, you're trying to deal with some, some issues. If you have trouble, if there's sickness, you call the elders, you pray. So confess your sins to one another. And too many times and too many places, people are dealing with unconfessed sin. You come to church. I'll tell you what. I've been there before where I've sat in the pew with unconfessed sin, and it's nigh into impossible to worship because, you know, my conscience is tearing me apart. I'm saying, what in the world is going on? You know, and and so sometimes when we think about sin, here's 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 where I'm going with that this morning, and then we're gonna we're gonna get right back on the path. Is simply this: people think, well. If, if I'm avoiding the things that I shouldn't do, at least I'm not sinning. This verse tells us that if you know the good to do and you don't do it, you can be guilty of sin. So when we all are educated beyond our level of obedience, then 1 John, uh, I'm sorry, um, James chapter 4, verse 17 trips us up. Because indeed... It reminds us that if we know the good to do and we don't do it, it's sin for them. Now, praxis. Here's the things we've talked about. We talked about small things make a big difference. We talked about a proper view of self in situations. We talked about the idea of praxis, keeping the main things the main things. We talked about not putting off until tomorrow what can be done today. Last week, we talked about making good decisions. Today, we're talking uh, about perseverance. Perseverance. Now, sometimes when people think uh, that a, a pastor is going to be preaching on perseverance, what they're thinking is, they're talking about the you know, perseverance of the saints. They're talking about this whole, the, the doctrinal theology of, of being saved and, and, and always being saved. And, and I'm not 
I'm not focusing on that aspect of perseverance today. I'm talking about this, this life that we live, and Scripture talks about being able to persevere in life. In fact, as we read the Scripture, it talks about the perseverance, you know, the struggles that we go through. There's a point where you have to, you have to say, listen, I, I'm, in a, I'm in a world, I'm living in a tough situation, things are not easy, the world isn't perfect, I'm suffering, there's, there's things in the world you will have suffering. But Jesus said, you, know, you need to persevere. And when you persevere, it produces character. And that per character produces hope. And that, my friends, is spiritual maturity. That's how we grow. It's how we mature many times. And somebody says, well, I don't like that process. Okay, well, I'm, I, I thought you came here today for truth. So I'm going to give you some of that. We're talking about perseverance. It's one thing to talk about persevering. Oh, yeah, I'll make it. I'm persevering. I keep on going. I'm tough. I'm so... It's another thing to walk it out, to put your theology in shoe leather. And there's some things we can do, some praxis, things we're talking about that help keep us in step with God's word and God's will and the leading of the Holy Spirit in terms of perseverance. So Romans chapter 5, notice verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So, in terms of perseverance, we're understanding, Paul's calling, and there's some things that you need to stand for. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces Perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, look at those verses and let the Apostle Paul set us up to understand perseverance. Paul says, therefore, first of all in that passage, therefore, Again, you've heard me say this many times. When you see the words, therefore, you better understand what they're there for. So what he's talking about, there's a connection between what he's just said. And what he's been talking about is that the, in the you know, point through the book of Romans so far has been to show us the fact that there's, we, we need to be saved and, the, and, and to, how are we going to be saved and right with God. And the only way Paul is identifying for us, the only way is to be justified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So we are saved by God's grace. Again, so people say, I'm saved by faith. You're not, tech, you're not saved by faith. You're, fit, you're saved by grace, God's grace, by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Saved by grace through faith. And, and Paul is explaining some of the practical benefits of believing, um, uh, believing in Jesus. So here's some Christian benefits. I just want to identify uh, three or four of them here. First of all, says we, one of the benefits is we are justified by God. In other words, we are no longer guilty before the court of God's law. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the fact that everyone was headed to see the eternal judge someday. Remember that story um, where don't procrastinate and, and that passage of scripture that says if you owe someone some money and they're taking you to court and you're going to go see the judge, and you're guilty, and, and you know you're guilty, and the, you know, the plaintiff knows he's guilty, and now the judge is going to know you're guilty. You're, going to, you're going to the slammer, right? So you're, you're going down. It's how it's going to be. You're guilty, guilty. Everybody knows it. He said, don't procrastinate. Before you get there, cut a deal. 
He said, don't wait till you get there. Cut a deal. And folks, you, every one of us, every person on this earth is headed to a courthouse. We'll stand before a God someday who is the eternal judge of all humanity. We're all headed there. And basically, Paul's saying, listen, cut a deal. Don't go there. Don't go there um, thinking that somehow you're going to sweet talk nothing. You ain't got enough money to pay off the judge. I don't care about your secret handshake. It don't matter. You ain't going to fare well. Cut a deal. What's the deal? God said, tell you what. I love you. I've been communicating with you. I've been trying to show you my love. I'm going to send you my son. If you believe in Jesus Christ, the blood of Christ will pay for it. It will be the atonement. I will pardon you if you'll believe in my son. If you'll accept by the grace that I'm giving you. That's that, that's that, that's that deal. He says, so first of all, we are justified by God. And justified means no longer guilty. It's a legal decree of being pardoned. A pardon is no big deal until you need one. But when, when you need a pardon, it's a difference between life and death. It's a difference be, between being a slave to sin and being free. So we're pardoned. Then second of all, Paul says, not only have you been justified, you have peace with God. You say, oh, well, good. I have had good feeling with God. No, that's not what he's talking about. I'm not saying, it's not this idea of peace being, whew, you know, um, you know, I'm riding clouds, playing the harp, and you know, birds are singing. It's not that kind of peace. What he's talking about is the fact, he's identified the fact that because of our sin, we were at war, enmity, war with God. And, and, and because we've been justified, you can now have peace with God. God's justice toward those who believe in Christ has been eternally satisfied. This, this battle that has been between God and us is finished. Uh, and by the way, he won, and he's winning us, right? And so some people don't know they're out of peace with God. They're, they're blowing through the stop signs of life. They don't even know the trouble they're in. But I'm, I guarantee it's going to catch up with them in the, in, the, in the court of God's law. Life's a battle. He said, but you can have peace. Now, you're not going to have peace with this world. If you're looking for, you can have peace in this world, but you're not going to have peace with the world. You don't have peace with the devil. You, you, there's this battle that we fight. Um, we, we can, we're dead to self. We, scripture says, render yourself you know, dead to self and alive to Christ. But I'll tell you what, Now, you, you, maybe you, you guys are a whole lot you know, more saints than I am, but I'll tell you what, I wake up in the morning, and the thing, the thing I don't like about this, this whole thing of, of dying daily is you've you got to die daily. What happens during the night? You wake up and you say, okay, listen, God, your help, you, 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 you know, there was good counsel, there was good word, there was your spirit. You helped me through the day. I was dead to self. I was alive to Christ. said no to the flesh. And then you wake up in the morning and there it is again. You're not going to have peace with the flesh. You say, listen, you've got to die all over again. And then God gives you power to overcome. Again, you're not a slave to sin. So the idea the devil made me do it is as stupid as saying the dog ate your homework. Right? I'll start telling Michigan jokes again. If you don't, you don't have to live. You don't, you're not at peace with sin. I don't know about you, but I'm grateful that I'm not at peace with sin. Best preacher I've ever heard, Reverend Conscious, gets me all the time. Paul says, but you can have peace with God here and now and there and forever. It's 
the idea that I'm no longer um, at war with God. I'm not an enemy of God. Scripture says, you know, we were enemies of God, but now he's made us brothers and sisters, children of God. Another benefit says that we, you can have a, a standing in God's grace. You're justified by God, you can have peace with God, and you now have a standing of, of grace in God. Undeserved favor. Uh, it's the way salvation comes to us, by the way. Undeserved favor. It also prescribes our current standing before God. Someone has said it's the beginning principle, it's the continuing principle of the Christian life. The whole idea of a standing, standing in grace in God. Paul says this, it depends on faith. Faith in Christ alone is the access to being justified, having peace, receiving grace. And then he mentions a fourth benefit, I think, to the Christian. Not all, all only do we have being justified, we have peace, and, and, and we have the standing of grace, but he says you have access. Do you see it there in Scripture, his divine presence? This isn't merely an interview. I mean, there's times where you, you, know, you say, I've met somebody. Well, you know, I've, I've met some famous people too, right? You know, uh, I've, I passed the ball to Shaquille O'Neal one time on the floor of, you know, Rupp Arena. That's the big blue nation. That's um, the reason I don't have, um, well, two reasons. One, I had a blue upward shirt on, but apparently um, I cooked in it or changed the oil in it because I had a spot on it, so I had to take that off. And about the only other one I had was this one-year bright orange, Tennessee. Made me throw up. It's the only thing I almost, we almost canceled upward that year because of Tennessee. Um, for all you football people, you know, I don't really like Alabama, but I was rooting for them yesterday. And they lost. But anyway, Tennessee. Where was I going with that? I had a point. I really did. Oh, Sha Shaquille O'Neal. I was there in the, I, with some of those sports teams, some of those people. I, know, I, I don't know Shaq any better than, than you do. No, I met him one time. This whole access to God isn't, hey, I met him one time. This is I know him. I didn't just do a little interview, found out some of his stuff, but you have access with God, his divine presence. We're part of his household. We behold his face. We walk in the light of his glory. So we stand in the hope of the glory of God. Now, watch this in verse 3. Here comes the possibility. Those are the benefits of being a Christian. And then with that now comes the possibility of perseverance. Because of all of those benefits, because of those things, here's where perseverance comes in. It says, not only so, all of those things, that's not, not only so, but we also, he says, we glory in our sufferings. Those things make that possible. Because we know that our suffering produces perseverance. It's the ability to go through. It's, it's, it's staying power. It's, it's suffering tribulation. Those are strong words, suffering, tribulation. Nobody in their right mind wants to go through that. And yet, these are not minor inconveniences. They're real hardship. But at the same time, the stress of those tribulations and, that, and, and the process of that Paul's telling us produces perseverance. Jesus told us in the world, you're going to have trouble. But he said, he goes on to say, I've overcome the world. Stick with me, Jesus says. Trust me, Jesus says. Don't you quit, 
Jesus says. Persevere. Persevere. Trouble and suffering in the natural world. Trouble and suffering produces impatience and hopelessness. And people in the world suffer and they get bitter. But because of who Christ is and what he's done for us, as a Christian, you can suffer and get better. You, you can produce perseverance. You, when, when people lose their wealth or their health, oftentimes they, 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 they get angry at God. But troubling and suffering supernaturally produces perseverance. Naturally, it produces impatience and hopelessness, but supernaturally it produces perseverance and hope for the Christian. When a heart is renewed by the Holy Spirit, a wonderful alteration can take place. Someone has called this the golden chain of Christian faith and maturity. One virtue builds on the other. Character and hope grow out of perseverance. Perseverance comes through tribulation. The world tribulation the word tribulation describes a time of enormous pressure, the type of pressure that hems us in from which there, there appears to be no escape. Trouble. We've all got trouble sometimes, don't we? The Bedouins have a saying. They said, sooner or later, the black camels will kneel at everyone's tent. So I guess if you have a tent and the black camels start coming over and they kneel at you, that, that's not a good thing, right? Sooner or later, and some have a lot, but trouble comes to everyone's door sooner or later. But faith fortifies us in that day of trouble. Faith encourages us in the day of trouble. Faith inspires us in the day of trouble. And if we face tribulation and struggles, sorrows, the day of tribulation, without faith, you only see the grinding effect, the negative aspect of it. And so we're afraid. Faith believes God is more capable and, and he can meet our needs. Instead of allowing us to be destroyed by hardships and trials, God produces within us some characteristics that everyone is looking for but very few people find. But the people who will persevere through them. You see, God wants, us, wants, wants um, to do something for us that only he can do if we will exchange our fear for faith. And so we trade in our, our fear, and instead we, we, we exercise faith and we persevere, and he gives us character and hope. That's not a bad trade. You trade in your fear, and God gives you faith. You trade in your fear, and God gives you perseverance. You trade in your fears, and, and, and God gives you character and hope. I'll take that trade. And we're not disappointed then in God's pattern and his plan for producing hope in us. Just listen, how am I, I'm going to find hope in this world. Perseverance, character, hope. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. He lives in us. And there's this deep awareness that God is up to something. His love for us is great. Our eyes are open. So much more than, look in verse 9, our hope in Christ who saves us from wrath. Look, if God loved us when we were considered enemies of God, how much more will God's love be poured out to us as children of God? You see that? There's, there's, that's the start of building our hope. We say, listen, that even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were unlovely, while we were at enmity with God, while we were enemies of God, he loved us. 
So think about this. Are there some things that you would do for your kids that you might not do for anyone else? There probably are. Some things that you would do for your kids you wouldn't do for anyone else. Are there some, think about it this way. Are there things that you would do for your children that you wouldn't do for your enemies? You say, listen, here's the enemy. This is kind of an arch enemy I've had all my life. You know, there's always been disagreement. There's always conflict. There's, be considered an enemy. Are there things that you would do for your children that you wouldn't do for your enemy? Yes, right? Of course. Think about this. When we were enemies of God, he loved us, and he gave his son. He exchanged his son for his enemies. All right, we're talking about perseverance. We're talking about enduring hardship, trials, struggles, things, things that are not easy, growing perseverance, um, trusting God enough to know that that's, his pro- that's a process that he uses. Not the only process, but it is a process that he uses to grow us in our faith. And now all of a sudden, we're experiencing character. He's growing our character. He's growing hope. You say, listen, if God would, would love us and care for us, send his son to die for us, when we were enemies with God, now that we're children of God, how much more do you think you could trust God in the process of bringing you through trials, through persever- uh, persevering, and through perseverance, to character and to hope, and believe that God somehow in the middle of all that, because as a child of God, he's watching out for you, he's growing in you, he's maturing in you, he's helping you. If God does that much for his enemies, how much more he will do for his family? I gotta tell you, I'm, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Now watch this, that's why, you know, move forward in your Bibles, to, to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're in Romans 5. We're going to 1 Peter 5. That's why in, in 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter says this. Now notice chapter 5, notice verse 6. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Now watch this in verse 10. And the God of all grace who called you, so listen, I, I accepted Christ. You, he called you, right? The best any of us have is a response to God's offer. He said, I called you. You, you know, so he was, you called you to his eternal glory in Christ. After you have suffered a little while, here's that hope. He will himself restore you, make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Let it be so right? So Jesus Christ has personally summoned you to heaven. Not only does he want you to come to heaven, but he promised to give you strength for the journey. Never shrink from the path of duty regardless of the obstacle. Once you know what is right to do, do it regardless of the cost. Endure. Persevere. Don't quit. Joan of Arc, it was said of her that she set her path and she went down it like a thunderbolt. She wasn't going to turn to the right. There was, there was, we're headed, headed forward. Don't expect help from the world on this, by the way. Uh, don't expect to, to have the world come and, 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 and encourage you to persevere. But I will tell you this, you can expect to inspire the world through it. And I think the world is begging the Christian community for an exhibit of courage and perseverance. Now watch this. Courage and perseverance... 
that is able to swim upstream against the current of public opinion. I think the world is looking for courage, for perseverance. Now I'll tell you this, it must be done well and not in anger. It must be done in truth and not in mere emotionalism. But look at a description of perseverance in 1 Peter 5. I see this in verses 6 and following. Here's a description of perseverance. Requirements. Let me just give you quickly some requirements of perseverance. Humility is one. Submission to authority. Submission to the process and procedures. Cheerfully put away your own agenda for God's agenda. Be willing to serve when people treat you like a servant. That's the thing. We all want to be a servant until we get treated that way. Be willing that you can do nothing apart from God. Be other-centered, not self-centered. One of the, one of the ideas of, of, of following through with perseverance is, is humility. I find something else there. You have to cast off anxiety. You have, you have to understand what you're supposed to take care of and what you have to leave God to take care of. And there's a difference. So you cast off your anxieties. And the idea here isn't just kind of toss it to the side as you're going. It's a two-handed, you know, give it, give it the full heave-ho. Right? Cast it off. Don't be worried about making sure others get punished for their wrongs. And some people spend more time listening. Um, I can't, I can't, I gotta, you know, I can't possibly let them get by with that. How can I love that person when I when I think they're just getting by with sin? You have to understand what is your responsibility and what is God's responsibility, and at some point you have to cast off your anxiety. Now, there is this thing called cheap grace, and there's this thing called enablement, and you ought not to be guilty about that. That ruins kids, it ruins communities, right? But there's a difference between saying, hey, listen, I can't love somebody, I don't want to love somebody because of who they are or what they are. You can love that person, you don't have to love what they're doing, but they still ought to know that you love them. In the Christian community... We talked about that when we started. We need to learn to love people better. If we love better, the world would be better off. Who else do you think is going to run point on that? Right? Here's another one. Be alert and sober. Be wise. Be careful. When you're persevering, pay attention to details. Look, the devil will try to fool you. He comes as an angel of light. And even when he roars... Understand he's defanged, right? Here's some ways he roars. Sometimes with persecution, sometimes with temptation, sometimes he roars through lies. He has a plan to destroy your life. Scripture says he's out to devour you. One of the requirements for perseverance is humility, casting off anxiety, being alert and sober. Here's another one, resist Satan. Perseverance, steadfast resistance is a secret of, of spiritual warfare. What's interesting in Scripture, it, it tells us many times that you ought to flee from evil. The idea of, of evil is you don't get as close to it as you can so that you, know, you don't fall away. Look, you stay away from it. You know what, half the time when it comes to sin and temptation, for me, I'm chicken. Because I, why would I want to be over here where I'm one step away from failure? There's times I have to back up and say, wait a minute, what's happening here? So that's just using your head right? And, and knowing you got to plan for that. Um, you have to plan to, to not fail. And so you do that. So, you, you know, Scripture says, flee from evil. Interestingly enough, though, it says, resist Satan. It doesn't say run from Satan. It says resist him. It says resist him, and he will flee. 
You got that? And so sometimes this whole idea of resisting Satan, one of the requirements of persevering is you got to learn how to, you got to learn how to, there's things that are worth fighting for and you need to learn how to fight. Say, listen, Satan, no. By the power of the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, no. Right? That's not, gonna, that, that's not going on here. No. Resist Satan. Take a stand against him. Here it says stand firm in the faith. Satan can be set running by resisting him, by the authority of what Jesus did on the cross. So in other words, be more prayerful than he is active. He comes at you and you begin to pray and you say, listen, if, if Satan figures this one out, I say, listen, those people, when I come after them, pray, we can't be having that. And so you have to persevere. You persevere, you pray. Instead of the last resort, it's your first resource, Remember? We pray. Stand firm in faith. Now, I'm done, but this is good. So you need to know this, right? Here's some results of perseverance. We're called to persevere. God is committed to provide the rest. He said, listen, you persevere. You take your stand. Humility, cast off anxiety, be alert and sober. You know, resist Satan, stand firm in the faith. He said, but let me do my part. The results of perseverance, God works these things in us and through us. It's not something you can do on your own strength, but, but persevering with faith in God is the key. He says, after you have suffered a while. Do you see what he says there in, in, in the last part of those verses we read in 1 Peter 5? He said, you're going to be restored. And not only restored, made strong. And not only made strong, but firm. Persevere. And then he said, steadfast. When you can stand on the truth of who God is and who he's made you to be and you understand that the world around you might be doing all kinds of who knows what, but you're going to stand firm. You're going to persevere in the faith. God's called you and me to persevere. Paul, Peter says, through it all, he said, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, God has purified my character. He said, God has perfected. He's perfecting my humanity. He's protecting my life. He's providing a victory. He's presented me to the king. He's produced in me a reflection of the glory of God. He's promised me the immediate and the constant presence of God, and he's pleased me with the joy of the glory of God. And for sure, the God who can do all this great work in our lives is worthy of all our praise. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to invite the team to come. They're going to lead us in our last song. Let me read one passage of Scripture for you and tell you one story. From Isaiah chapter 40. This powerful passage of Scripture that you and I have read numerous times, let it speak to your heart again. Perseverance. Do you not know Have you not heard that the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But watch this. Those whose hope, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk 
Do not faint. Persevere with your hope in the Lord. And now one story. In the dim light of our room this morning at just before four o'clock in the morning when is the normal process for me on a Sunday morning. I wake up and I try to sneak out of the house without making too much commotion and so I keep the lights low. I've planned for Sunday and so I've got my clothes laid out and you know unless somebody you know leaves a pillow in the middle of the floor I can usually get through without a lot of light. This morning as the light was dimly shining in the in the window through the shears that were hanging there I looked over and on our dresser was this little framed picture. I guess it's been there for almost well, probably more than 29 years now. It's something that my wife made and she she wrote it and framed it and it's meant a lot to us over the years. You see, there's all kinds of things that you and I have to persevere through. And one of those instances was nearly 30 years ago now. My wife walked across the lawn of the church and came to meet me. And and I met her in the lawn. She had a rose and she told me that she was pregnant. Our first child. We had just gotten here. Um... We were pouring our hearts and life into ministry, and this was just a glorious um, start of our family. We'd been married probably more than five years by then, and waited to to graduate from grad school and to be at our first church. And we were starting a family. We were so excited. We laughed and we, you know, we hugged each other. We cried some tears. That child um, was a child that I never got to hold. And there were complications that happened and, 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 and it resulted in a miscarriage. And, and people say, well, you know, was that really a child? Look, one of the reasons that I, I think it's so important is for you to be educated, to know what kinds of things are going on in our community and in the court system and things that are being voted into the constitutions of state government is because yes I do believe that life begins in the womb scripture says you know before I was born in my mother's womb he goes I knew your inmost parts he knew me God knew me there's a person and I, there's a child that we have that I never got to hold and we were working through all that and um, I was a, trying to be a uh, a new pastor and um, uh, a husband to a wife who was had gone through a miscarriage, and we and and so we we were concerned about physical things and emotional things. And but in time, um, she came to me again, and she said, "You know, I'm I'm expecting again. That's another child I never got to hold." Ended in. A miscarriage, and boy, we were scared. We were, 
went to doctors and we're in Chicago and we're being tested for stuff that I can't even pronounce and no, you don't have this, but it might be that and what's going on. Anyway, I had a dream. Um, I had a dream that I was in the foyer of the old church and that after a service, my dream was that I, I knelt down on the floor and a little dark-haired, dark-eyed little girl came running to me. I saw a picture of what my child could look like. Um, and in time, um, Rhonda was pregnant again and, and Katie was born. And um, it is amazing to me um, the resemblance of that little girl in my dream the one um, that we held. But I remember during those tough times, we were afraid and we were scared. We said, I'm not sure we want to try this anymore. God, this isn't fair. And why are all our friends, you know, it's like they, they breed like rabbits and they got kids everywhere. And it's like, why us? You know, what's going on? And we were hurting. And she read that verse about my hope is in the Lord. And she wrote those words on this plaque and it's been with us for some 30 years. It's a great encouragement. Someday she said, I wonder if that girl, if that one of those children was a little girl. She named her Hope. And she said, my hope is with the Lord. Someday we'll see her and hug her. And we had Katie and we were so, so happy. And, and there was another pregnancy and that's a child I didn't get to hold. And the fifth pregnancy was a child that I didn't get to hold. And you persevere and you say, listen, are we willing to do this again? <laughs> and then we had Daly and we had Ben and... Um, I can't catch them, <laughs> you know. Um, perseverance. What is it that you ha are persevering through right now? Where your hope has to be in the Lord. And because of what He can do, you're going to say, listen, I'm going to trust Him, I'm going to obey, and I'm going to persevere, and because of what He can do. You know, in, in those times... I didn't know then what I know now. But I've stood with some of you who've been through the same thing we were. And God, in His mercy, give me grace to empathize with you when your child wasn't one you could hold. And I I've learned to trust God in the valley. I enjoy the mountains, but I've learned, him, learned to trust Him in the valley. And when the hard times come, even friendly fire can almost kill you because I'm going to persevere. God continues to build character, and the hope that I have is in Christ. What is it that you're having to persevere through? You say, listen, I believe in God, and you need to put it into practice and persevere. Heavenly Father, Help us in these days. We're your people. We're your children. We're going to trust you. Do in our lives what you, what you intend to do and plan to do and only you can do. And we'll trust you. And we're going to go in grace and the power of God. And we're going to be a witness to the world that there's a God who can bring us through we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for joining us for this message from the Summit Church Podcast. Again, if you have any questions, visit us at summitniles.com. Now go and be the church in the world.